0: Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Melina makes it easy. So let's talk about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Melina. Visit meetmolina.ca.com. Let's talk today.
1: Blob Talk Radio.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Healthcare Whisperer Radio Show. It's been a while. I've been on leave. I've been away for several months and I'm so excited to be back today. Uh, my name is Hari Kulsa and I am your host. I am a nurse practitioner and owner of Healthcare Whisperer, a healthcare navigation and patient advocacy company. You can follow me on Twitter at H-A-R-I-K 108 and Facebook at Healthcare Whisperer or Hari Kulsa. Now, the purpose of this show, as many of you may know, but I just want to remind everybody, the purpose is to provide information and lots of tips on how to better navigate the healthcare system. As we all know, getting through the system can be overwhelming, stressful, cumbersome, daunting, and probably a whole lot of other words, but what this show is about is giving you hearing people's stories finding out what worked and didn't work, and so that can help you. Uh, Like I said, this is my first show in Seattle, and I'm very excited. I actually got it all right, putting it together, getting it in the right time zone. only had to call them a couple times, but I thought, wow, this is great. And so if you want to call in, you can call in at 805-830-8363 you can also text if you want to text a question you can text to 781-864-8999 or you can send uh, uh, through email at heal, H-E-A-L don't hesitate if you want to call please call in because this show today is like really exciting but before i get to that um, I just wanted to, one of the reasons I was offline for so long was my mother, my 90-year-old mother had a stroke. And I came face-to-face personally on a very, you know, family caregiver level with the health care system. And it was a journey. It was intense. And I'm sure many of you have had that experience. So what I did, luckily I knew the system, but still it was hard but one thing I did was I wrote this great blog that i really like all of you to read. It's called An Open Letter to My Mother's Hospital and Rehab. And I want you to read it because I think it represents what, what many people experience when they're dealing with the health care system and the elderly, or really any illness. And it's just, it's about being heard. It's about the experience. So you can go to my website at www.healthcarewhisperer.com and read it. And I think you'll like it. I think you'll be able to, um, if you've ever had to face the healthcare system with a loved one, I think you'll be able to uh, really understand and enjoy it. If not, I think it's very touching anyway. But today, today is a very, very special day. Today's 9-11. My heart will never forget this day. I still, I, I still feel as if it happened yesterday. All of our worlds change today. I mean, that's the way I feel, and not so many of my friends feel that way. I still remember the moment, the pain, the horror. I remember the sadness, the deep sadness and the love I felt for the families of every victim. I remember how we, my family, we tried to track down every all our family members who lived in New York, couldn't find my mother-in-law. We finally found her. She had gone to work and come out. She was 80 years old, and she was still working, and she had come out the subway just as the planes hit. It took us all day to find her, but we were glad we, we finally found her. Someone had rescued her, one of her coworkers, because she was very scared. So today, I send my love to the families who suffered, who are still suffering, to the survivors and to all those people, all the first responders and the responders after that who gave, who just gave selflessly and lovingly. Many blessings to all of you. We will never forget any of you. And today... In light of the history of today's events, I am so excited and honored to have two sisters, Dr. Sandra Haber and Satnirmal Kar kolsa on the show. This is a story I like to think of it about as a love story between two sisters. And, and I, as the name of the show is, two sister, a love story, two sisters and a bone marrow transplant. And that's what we're going to talk about. Now, Sandy, Dr. Haber, is a uh, Ph.D. psychologist in private practice in New York City. Dr. Haber is a fellow of the American Psychological Association and a former president of the Division of Independent Practice of the American Psychological Association. She is also – Dr. Haber pursues her interest in psychology and medicine by focusing on practical approaches to serious illness. She's done a, She's appeared on Good Morning America, Sally Jeff, Jesse Raphael, now that's someone I haven't heard in a long time, but she was great when she was on, CNN and Fox. She's also been featured in the New York Times and in magazines such as Self, Psychology Today, Shape, and Family C- Circle. And most of all, most of all, oh, I forgot one really good thing. She's honored as Distinguished Psychologist of the Year, awarded by the Cancer Care, and serving as the co-chair of the American Psychological Association's Congressional Initiative on Serious Illness. Wow. But she's a Brooklyn girl, so let's go Mets. And her sister sat near her. Well, what can I say? She has one of the most incredible credentials you'll ever know. She's my friend for almost 40 years. What more can I say? That's the best credential you could ever have. But besides all that, She was an amazing CEO of a major security company. She's a mother and wife extraordinaire, plays the most incredible music, and has, by far, the cutest dog in the universe, Mr. Buddy. Need I say more? Now, why don't I just bring them on? I was going to go on and talk some more because their journey is so incredible. But one of the things I want to say before I bring them on is that one of the reasons this is such a poignant story and so important on today is that Sandy Gay Dr. Haber gave her time as a responder after 9/11. She put herself out she she was exposed to the elements and she uh, in 2002 was diagnosed with polycythemia, a red blood cell disorder. Now I want to say that you that the doctors are very clear that they cannot definitively say that uh, the medical profession that the that that the environmental exposure at um the at where's that place World Trade Center was is the cause, but there is a cause and relation a relationship that everyone says probably, but they can't say d- definitively. This process led to myofibrosis, which we're going to get into. So before I blow everything and mess up the story, I want to bring both these incredible ladies on. So hello, San, uh, Dr. Haber and Sun you're both there.
1: We're here. Yeah, I'm hi, here anyway. Hi. <laughs> hi.
2: We are here. <laughs> so. I have to remember on my resume, On my resume, I had to include that I've been your friend for 40 years. That that was, Duh. you know, um, that, yeah. <laughs> that's my claim to fame. <laughs> well, that at least the on dog. the show. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that and the dog,
0: yes. I mean, really, how can I speak about dog. you without talking about Mr. Buddy? I mean, really. <laughs> I, I would never not. be allowed back in the house. So, right. So, I really want to thank you both for coming on. I know. I mean, even as a friend, I know these. This can be hard to talk about. So, I'm really grateful that you both chose to talk. You know, to come on the show and and talk. So, I just want to thank you. Thank you very much for coming.
2: You're very welcome. We're happy to and be here. And I'd
0: like to start with you, Sandy. Um, can I call you Sandy on the show? Right? That's okay. Absolutely. Or, sure.
2: okay sure. <laughs>
0: All righty. Um, what's, you know, I'd really like, why don't you start by um, talking about yourself prior to 9-11, like what, you know, about your work. I think that's really important for people to know, you know, how how what kind of work you do and and the kind of counseling. I think it's, you know, what you do is great work.
1: Well, I'm a psychologist in private practice. Um, I've always <clears throat> been... Before the 9-11 incident, I always had a particular interest in working with patients with cancer um, and bringing in psychologists to spend more time working with patients with cancer. Um, And that came about because one of my patients, um, as I went through the cancer process with her, this goes back many, many years ago, I realized that for all the training that we had as psychologists really dealing with that kind of illness was really um, omitted very often. And there was a strong learning curve. You need to know a fair amount of medicine and a lot of psychology. And I realized that there were just so many omissions. And so I became more and more interested in addressing those omissions and training psychologists to deal with this. And then a good friend of mine who was a psychologist um, got cancer during her second pregnancy Oh, and um yeah that was a really hard one and we decided um along with four of the women psychologists that we wrote a book um the psychology of breast cancer breast cancer a, psycho- a psychological treatment manual is the actual title of it and it was dedicated to her and oh. you know she was the voice of the patient in that book and so i became involved in that way and then of course post 911 i had my own cancer experience as as you know you've talked about so that's sort of you know the beginning and then the uh the current sequel to it
0: so that's that's so. i mean you started thinking about that way before people were thinking about that i mean that that that's amazing that you saw that there was such a need For because even in my work as a patient advocate, I have you know I've had many cancer patients, and I'm always astounded at how people are sort of sent out. Well, you'll be okay. Oh, you know the radiation, you'll be fine after those Mm -hmm. three weeks when Mm -hmm. the radiation's done, and Mm -hmm. they're just left you know crying on my shoulder or their family. Their families don't know what to do. So, I Mm -hmm. mean, that's amazing. Did you get a lot of support from the community and what you were doing?
1: I got a lot of support from my psychological organization. They were really helpful in, in launching this and, and getting me to the right places. It was with their credentials that I could sit in at Sloan Kettering and sit in and um, interview people at Cancer Care and get the story from both the advocates and from the patients for the material wow. for the uh, book. Uh-huh. So they were incredibly helpful. Um, but, yeah, there's, you know, if you think about medicine, I don't know, you have a, a toe doctor and a knee doctor and I'm a head doctor and then you get a cancer doctor and I, the whole thing is just so unintegrated that um, when someone has a serious medical illness, very often the whole mindset, the whole support system, um, the whole managing with the family is left out of the equation and it's a it's a tremendous omission. Better addressed so nowadays. I think there's much more awareness of it nowadays, but... Going back twenty years there was really very little.
0: It's there but you have to almost ask for it. I mean I, I've had a lot of interaction. I mean it's maybe more at Sloan because you were there and you were it sounds like you, mm-hmm. you you integrated well there but I I found I found that at Dana Farber it's there but you kinda have to find it. I mean they code it on their website yes. but you have to you have to have someone say to you, You need this And they have Mm -hmm. to say, okay, I'll do it.
1: (laughs) Yes, you have to ask for it. It's ironic that there are so many psychological services, and yet you really do need to ask for it. I think you're quite right. It's not just brought to you in the same way that someone might say, oh, you need radiation treatment. They won't say to you, gee, and we also have a support group for this kind of cancer, or we have someone you can talk to or a patient navigator or whatever. Yeah, that, that is true.
0: And we'll do it over the phone. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it, and it -hmm. always astounds me, yeah, yeah. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I I would love to see, and then we'll get on after this question, but I would love to see the doctors engage, like the oncologists to say, okay, Mm -hmm. part of your treatment is you're going to get this drug, but you're also, you know, you're going to do this, like see a counselor Mm -hmm. because this drug can cause this. But you never, that doesn't happen very much.
2: Rarely. <laughs> you know, like, it no. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're being nice, right? Actually, never right? saw it happen. Yeah. Yes, I'm <laughs> being yeah, polite. Yeah, you and I know what it's like. So, I mean, it yes. must have been so. So, okay, so here, here you are. You've done all this work, and I hope your friend is doing okay. Your colleague, that she, you know,
1: that no, wrote she the actually book with. died. No, no, oh, that, that, that was dedicated to her, and she had a major role in it, but she did die.
0: Oh. Um,
1: yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: So sad. I'm so sorry to hear that because I know that you know that that's that's tough. That's that's hard. Yes. Um so but her work lives on with both yes. of your book.
1: Yes. and that and that was really an important end of life statement for her. I think that she uh-huh. took
0: uh-huh.
1: of having done yep. that book and you know felt like she made a contribution and that was very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it it did. I mean that is uh, so. So here you are. You've done all this work. Um, you know you're you're aware. And then all of a sudden, can you tell us how the process you how you got down to not working at nine eleven? I mean, I know we all wanted to do something, but what? How, how did this journey begin for you?
1: Um, well, you know, you were talking about the the day. You know, I can. I there's a color I call it nine eleven blue. And anybody uh-huh. who's hanging with me, I'll say, oh, that shade, that that's 9-11 blue, because the color of the sky that day, uh, um, yeah. probably, uh. if you weren't there, it was close to robin, robin's egg blue. I guess it's closest to that color. It was a very specific color. It's not that common uh. in New York City because we have way too much pollution. So yeah. uh, we don't get those crisp, clear colors very often. But it was fabulous. But as you were speaking and introducing us, I was thinking, "Oh yeah, I remember that color. It was a magical color." But anyway, um, uh, well, you'll have to interrupt me, or my sister can interrupt me. But I'll just go on, and you just tell me if if this is um, sort of what you want to hear, because you know, (laughs) there's so so many memories. Um, But I was in my office that morning, and Mm -hmm. um, a patient came in and said, "Oh boy, did you hear? A plane hit the World Trade Center." And I thought, Oh, okay, but what we thought was, you know, like one of these little planes go flying around and people take planes and somehow it hit the World right. Trade Center and it would sort of bounce right. off and fall apart or whatever. <laughs> and I right, right. um, right. didn't think all that much about it. And um, I think then what happened is he left and then the next patient there was a phone call, I think it was, um, somebody very upset and having come, coming in from New Jersey and being turned away and that oh. there was a real disaster with a plane, you know, at the mm-hmm. Trade Center. And it sounded more and more alarming. I don't have a television in the office. I'm in a, a building, and um, we don't have a TV set because I'm working, so I'm not watching TV. And I went into the hallway, and um, somebody was coming out of their apartment, and I said, did you hear about this? And can I watch your TV? Something's happened. And so I went in with the stranger, and we sat on his couch and put on the TV. And that's when we uh. saw what happened, um, which was, uh, there's no word for it.
2: Totally no. disturbing.
1: No. Totally, no. totally. And no we'll word. come back in an instant as I talk about it. Just unbelievable. Um, and uh, what happened next? My goodness, my um, goodness. My daughter got through to me at the office. They lined all the kids up. I'm going to cry as I talk. This is—it's a call their parents, you know, who are in Manhattan.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, you know, to tell them that they were okay and to find out, you know, to make contact with the parents. And so she was able to get through. So that was a relief right. that we made the yes. connection because the yes. phones went dead right afterwards. Right,
0: and the cell phones were jammed. Nothing could work.
1: Everything, nothing worked. Nothing worked. nothing worked, and um, yeah. nothing worked. And I walked up to a girlfriend's house. My girlfriend Lucy was about 20 blocks from my office, and she was home. And I stayed with her that day. And of course, the subways were down, which meant I couldn't get down. home. Right. And um, I stayed there overnight. And by the next morning, I think the phones were in better shape. So we were all able to talk. And by late that afternoon, I was able to get home. And once I got home and we were all reassured and everybody, when we had each other, we weren't very reassured because, (laughs) you know, we didn't know what was happening, but at least the immediate family was there. Um, Right. uh, Then we got wind of how much devastation and disaster there was. And I don't remember if there was a call. I don't remember if there was something... I knew or just an intuition or whatever, I, I, I went down to the Red Cross. Um, I must have heard about it somehow because the actual headquarters was bombed. They were using their second headquarters in Brooklyn for, as a location. They had to move over uh-huh. there. And I, uh-huh. I wound up there. And, I, you know, as much as certain memories are very, very acute, like the color blue in the sky,
2: right. other memories
1: are really very dim. And Uh all I can tell you is that the next day I wound up at the Red Cross. And we sat in a room. It must have been all day and all night because they were trying to organize themselves and they weren't in their main headquarters. And um, I guess it must have been by the second day those of us who had hung around were starting to get assignments. The first assignment was just... And and you said something in your introduction that reminded me of it. I was at Channel 13, which is our public broadcasting station here, volunteered Uh their phone banks. The phone banks were back up and running, and we were staffing the phones. And people were calling in. It looked like a telethon because there must have been, let's say, 50 Red Cross volunteers. As soon as you hung up the phone, the phone rang. As soon as you hung up the phone, the phone rang. And that went on for hours all through the night because people were looking for their relatives who had been in the trade center and there was no information about where people were. Um, They were directed to numbers to call. That actually turned out to be dead ends. They would start to call hospitals. And we were sort of the go-between and wow. um, for example, Cantor Fitzgerald comes back to me because so many calls were for that. That's a large brokerage firm that was, I right, think, on the 96th right, right, floor. They right, lost right, a huge yes. number of people.
0: Yeah. they right. you, Oh, they oh lost my those God.
1: Yeah. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. And it, you probably mm-hmm. saw it sat Mill in the in the museum. Well, yeah. you didn't get to the museum portion. Yeah. And they have a piece where you see the Cantor mm-hmm. Fitzgerald uh, CEO there. Right. And um, you know, so we all these people would be calling in. And, you know, my daughter worked here at Cantor Fitzgerald. My son worked here at this place and that place. Have you heard Uh, anything? What do we do? uh, It it was uh, not good. Brutal. Um, So that was night one. And then I think after that, we were, those of us that had come in early, were put down, we were given clearance, and we were put down in the what they call the hot zone, which is Uh. right around the perimeter of where the um, uh, buildings went down. And they had established, well, it looked like, um, what did it look like? It looked like something out of a World War II movie, perhaps, right. with a lot of armed guards with rifles, a lot of smoke, right. and a landscape that didn't look like New York City.
2: Oh, um Lord. vividly
1: I... like some other bombed-out, European city that you might have seen somewhere on a travelogue or whatever or a history channel and um, we used to go down there in the Red Cross bus with our ID and they set us up and basically the job at that point was to do anything necessary but mostly to counsel and talk with the rescue workers that would come out on breaks out of this hot zone Oh, Firefighters, Lord. police, rescuers oh. trying to find people because the theory then it was called a rescue operation. It didn't move to recovery right. until about day twelve, I think it was.
0: Yeah, so it was during a while. The rescue,
1: Remember, yeah. it was a long time. They yep. kept calling it a rescue operation, and yep. they were trying to. Because they to, found, they found they those policemen.
0: Remember, yes, they found they those they two did. police or transit workers
1: transit workers i think um there were some right there were people that they would find and they just assumed they would find most of the other people and so there was digging that went on constantly and um you know the red cross's job or, or my part the mental health portion was really to give aid and solace to those people as you know they came out on their breaks and um talked to them about what was happening and um you know that the, the different points a little bit later on I remember I assisted I don't know anything about this but I learned I mean to do eye washes you know because what was happening is right. your eyes would be burning from the smoke and so there were right. eye washes and stations set up to do eye washes on um, the men who had come out Um at one point there was a donation of Dr. Scholl's foot pads, and we helped put the foot pads in the boots because they had blisters on their feet, you know, uh, all kinds of stuff. So it went from mental health to practical to whatever. And, mm-hmm, um, to whatever, you exactly. Know, just kind of. Whatever, whatever you had to kindness. do, you did, right? Yeah. yeah it was yeah, just, um, yeah. you know, down there at that, at that detail. So, and a, a so lot I, happened. I mean, yeah.
0: So, so yeah. I mean, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I just want to say thank you. I mean, you must have helped so many people you, you don't even know. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, we were all, yeah. So how long were you there? How long did you actually keep going down there?
1: Well, I actually wound up working with the Red Cross for the next two years, but it was the first six months that were centered around this hot zone.
0: Um, it went through
1: different stages. The, the, the end portion was out of the hot zone and it was servicing the various fire departments that had lost many men. And it was right. much more wow. in the role of a counselor. So that was at the oh. end. But the first six oh. months were rather dramatic and, <clears throat> you know, dealing with the uh, rescue and then the recovery workers. And then, of course, many people, many people came in. Um, I remember from Canada, from the Midwest, they would drive in. They could be the crane operators came in from out of town. So many, many people volunteered from all yeah. different states, yeah. from different countries, yeah. to come in and help. I yeah. remember spending oh, yeah. one night in the um, in what was it, City Field? You know, where the um, ball games are held because Shea Stadium, because that's where the people from out of town were sleeping that night. They had all arrived oh. and they were going to bring them down the next day. So there was. So many portions of this thing that um, went on. As I'm, it was a very big opera and many volunteers of all different kinds, you know, there. Um, but over time, over the next week or two, it became clear that it was no longer rescue and it became recovery. And that was a hard time. And um, I bet, I bet. You know,
0: it was hard um, for everyone. Hard for everyone. It was when hard for realized.
1: everybody. It, it was yeah, very, very difficult. Oh, right, but that, that pit was smoldering for many, many months, many months. Right, um, and yep, smoldering with
2: all kinds of things. Here. Yeah, but I just want to add something in here. Um, it, I think it was around uh, about three months after um nine eleven. so it was sometime between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, close closer to Christmas. I remember because it was very cold, and my husband and I uh, made a... We actually had a business trip um, to New York, and um, because of our uh, security clearances and because um, one of the, actually one of our top managers there was um, a former lieutenant in the New York City Police Department, we were able to go onto Ground Zero, and they weren't allowing Mm -hmm. anybody actually on Ground Zero, but we were able to go in there, and it was such a shock, and it was still smoldering. And there were, it it looked. All I could think of was, this is not, this is not my country. This is not my Mm -hmm. city. This is, what is this thing? And, and there was, um, uh, there were notes and pictures, and just these desperate um, handwritten Mm -hmm. notes uh, tacked onto various places, looking for, um, even just evidence of people's loved ones all over mm-hmm. the place. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen my sister, my daughter, my, my yeah. husband, my my friend, and pr- different prayers. And we wrote some things and, and put them on um, one of the walls there. But it was really a, quite a remarkable and life-changing experience to see that and to, to go, and even after three months, and by yes. that time, I think whoever they were going to recover, dead or alive, was recovered, and everybody mm-hmm. else was buried mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were big pieces of steel sticking out of the ground yes. and um, smoke and all of that, really a And they
0: saved all those notes, aren't they? In the mu- many of them in the museum, I believe so. The- yeah. A lot of
2: them are in the yeah. museum. Yeah. They yeah. saved part yeah. of one of the steel pieces is just mm-hmm. there, and these notes are tapped on there somehow. Um they just save a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I know. It, yeah. it,
0: I mean, when I'm hearing about it, it it's just, you know, a part of me doesn't want to hear it, you know, that part of it. But the other part is like, yes, right. I. It, it's good. To, I just feel this. this is incredible that both of you, I mean that Sandy you gave such time and such so, you know, well you got to see it. I mean the, I mean you, you can't even put it in your brain. You know, like this is not yeah. real. This can't be real. <laughs> you know. Am I in a movie? Right. You know? Right. So right. so Sandy, yeah. getting I, I wanna make sure we get to the bone marks. I know we can talk about <laughs> oh, this forever. Yes. <laughs> I mean because yeah, it was I probably so <laughs> Yeah, no, and I, I, you know, and I wish I could because yeah. it's yeah. so devastating. It ha- I, all of yeah. us, like I said in my intro, were touched by this in ways that yes. we can't even yes. talk about. Or, we're, you know, we were all touched. It was devastating. But so you were down there. When did you start not to feel well? I mean, when did you start to think, "Ah, oh, this"? is Oh, you know, I actually I mean, been... felt
1: just fine. What had happened was, um, it, it was in two thousand and two, and I was due for a routine colonoscopy. And I remember the day I went in there, because I remember I was wearing my Red Cross vest, and let's say it was spring of 2002. And when I got into the waiting room, I realized my vest was on. I must have been working a detail at Ground Zero. And I didn't want to upset people in the waiting room, so I remember Mm -hmm. taking it off and putting it aside. I figured, okay, you know what, we need to let this go right now. And my physician called me back about a week later and said, you know, I ran your blood work twice, and this is really weird. You've got some weird stuff showing up here. Mm -hmm. That was the beginning of the diagnosis of polycythemia. And basically I had too many red blood cells. They weren't quite functioning right. However, it was not at that point a problematic disease. It didn't really interfere with my life. I was monitored um, more frequently, but they didn 't quite know what would happen. I might live with this illness my entire life, but again, I was fairly you know asymptomatic, or it could morph into a bigger problem so Over the course of the next ten years, basically, I would have phlebotomies, meaning they would take uh, a, um, a unit of blood out of my system because I was producing just too many cells and mm-hmm. That would happen every, let's say, few months, and I would go about my day, and I'd be fine. I was completely asymptomatic, though I knew enough to monitor it with blood tests, so I would go to the hospital uh, once every few months, and if the numbers were too high, I'd have a phlebotomy, and then they would send me home, and I'd be fine. So it Were happened. you still no.
0: dealing just with your PCP at that time, or were you, did they add? Uh, no, 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 I was
1: they referred to a hematologist, oncologist okay. at Sloan Kettering. Uh-huh which is a cancer okay, hospital. So you
0: meet, okay, so you're already plugged in uh, I was in there, already
1: so. in there, but I didn't have cancer at that point. But I had mm-hmm. something that could be a precursor. Um, however, and They it must was have been
0: surprised. Su- yeah, they must have been surprised because it's so rare in women. I mean, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, yeah, it is kind of a rare...
1: Com- I never heard of this problem, so... Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was all news to me, and I thought, what, you know, what do I have? I feel fine. What do I have? But anyway, yeah. it, over the years, it didn't seem to make much of a difference. It was a little bit inconvenient, but I can deal with inconvenience, and so
0: hey, nothing much. Hey, you're a New much. Yorker. <laughs> I'm a New Yorker. You're inconvenienced
1: <laughs> all the time. Hey, deal with it. Yeah. So, you know, no yeah. big deal. Hey. <laughs> now, so, that sounds like
0: Sutton Air Roll deal with it right deal with it (laughs) but what
1: was interesting is early on they did have me test ask my sister to be tested to see if we were a potential match in case someday and maybe it would never happen i needed a donor and that happened in 2002 um and i remember the hematologist got the results back and said oh this is great you know you guys are a perfect match but, you know, this may never happen. And so I put it out of my mind, and for the next 10 years went about my life, which was just fine. Mm-hmm. In 2012, so, it got it changed, and that's really... Okay, the, before uh, we get
0: to the change... Yes. So, Sat I think this is like something yeah. I wanted to point out to people. When your sister asked mm-hmm. you, it was like, of course, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Of course.
2: I mean, of course. I mean, no yeah, no, all. no, I mean, I mean... Well, when she, you know, when she called me and told me, and she had to spell the name of the disease she had a few times I don't know what she was talking about and um, and then she made me promise not to <laughs> she made me promise not to tell anyone because she didn't want to upset her family of course, and um you know we which i understood and and because it may be nothing and uh I remember the her her doctor or maybe Sloan Kettering sent me a some something to get my DNA tested and I went and did that and um but we talked about the possibility if I had to give her bone marrow and there was never a doubt at all um I you know it's so funny when you you have this life you you have an experience that you don't know if it's going to be life changing but you get the impression that it might be and I just remember exactly where I was And I just remember so clearly talking to my sister about this um, in 2002 Hmm. and thinking that's the experience I went through, that this may get really bad Mm -hmm. or nothing may happen. But I had to prepare myself that this might happen Mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, this is a real possibility. Mm -hmm. And I had to, you know, and I... Sandy, I have to confess to you now. I do. I did tell my husband, Dea. So.
0: Well, I think <laughs> so you I would. Oh
2: dear,
0: I think I, I was more anybody, concerned
1: about you telling mom. <laughs> that was my uh, uh, no, protection. I think you tell your husband. I was worried about no. my mother. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Let <laughs> yeah. me tell you. We all would have been worried about your mother. Right. <laughs> no, no matter you, how old you would I would have been worried about your
2: mother. Nobody's mother wants to hear this. But. Anyway, that was a real possibility, and I remember that. It's almost like remembering exactly where I was when
1: hmm. uh, when JFK
2: yeah. was killed. I remember wow. exactly where I was when I heard about 9-11. That kind of thing. It was a very clear, um, and I had the same clarity when she called me 10 years later and said, this wow. has gone bad. Mm. So, so that hey, that was the experience that I had.
0: Wow. So... So Sandy, yeah. so you so 10 years, did they ever say you could have gotten this at, you know, was there ever a conversation that you might have it might be env- environmentally driven, if the exposure or was that later in 2012 when you had That was
1: really they, later. Um yeah, okay. they didn't seem particularly interested in where or why I had this. Um
2: I had brought up
1: early on, gee, you know, I've just come out of the Trade Center because I was hearing all these things about lung issues, and they were monitoring me. The Trade Center does have a monitoring system set up, and Mm -hmm. they monitor all the people that were part of rescue, recovery, and volunteer groups every year. Mm -hmm. And and when I got that note, I was going there just because I felt you should. You know, they need to find out things and uh, so they were they were clearly gathering data because they suspected there would be many problems associated with this, and I guess they weren't sure exactly which problems yet. The first ones to come out, I think, were the lung problems. I'm pretty sure right. that those were came out yeah, right away. I remember that too remember, which were yeah highlighted so that in, um,
0: yeah. what's his name's film about the health system Michael Moore
1: Michael I Moore oh, Michael Moore's
0: film right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, yeah, so that was, was early yeah. on.
1: But they, they, yeah. and so, they're still monitoring people, yeah.
0: Yeah, and they should be. Um, so in 2012, what happened?
1: Well, let me see. The first thing that happened, again, was a call from the hematologist saying, uh, you know, these numbers are not looking so good over here. Um, something's mm-hmm. changed. I was uh-huh. still feeling Okay. okay. But I would say about a month after that phone call I started to not feel as well. And what was mm-hmm. manifest is I had become anemic. That oh, yes. these red blood cells which were so plentiful and which they had to take out of my body because there were just too many were now not enough and not functioning well. Wow. So the key symptom was really, um, tiredness, which later became exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> the only way they could treat it at that point was they would give me transfusions, which is a little bit of an irony since they had spent the first decade taking blood out of my body and now they were giving me back blood. You know, so every... Um, yeah, is- you know, and You know, it was really weird, but um, the transfusions did help, um, but clearly this was becoming more and more of a problem. Um, and they started to talk to me about Having a transplant, and Mm -hmm. um, I was very resistant. Um, It Mm -hmm. sounded too resistant
0: because it was just too much. Well,
1: I I felt that um, the treatment and the possible aftermath, including Mm -hmm. death from the transplant, seemed a lot worse than being tired and getting transfusions. And I would have preferred to live with getting transfusions to being transplanted. It just seemed like mm-hmm. a better choice.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so just to clarify, you had Milo, yeah. they diagnosed, they gave you it the... It's called a it
1: myeloproliferative disorder, and by the way, polycythemia, which is the first version of this, and then right. myeloproliferative yeah. disorder, are uh-huh. not even good Scrabble words it doesn't even pay to learn how to spell them because you can't ever use them anywhere. And, and if you type them, they auto-correct to something else weird, you know. So I have to tell you, I've gotten a, a disease that's particularly useless when it comes to vocabulary. But anyway, my, myeloproliferative disorders, and basically it's a bone marrow disorder so that the cells, and those would be the red blood cells, the white blood cells, and the platelets, are not being produced correctly. You, even have, you either have too much, too many, or they don't function well, or all three, I mean, whatever. So, um,
0: so it's, that, it's like, that's like a rare leukemia, right? It's like is that, it's an it's uncommon a rare to, leukemia?
1: Yeah, it's a precursor yeah. to leukemia precursor. very often. Right. Yep. right. And that's what they worry about, that if I were to right. let this go, and that was the big right. threat, it right. could morph again into leukemia, and then they would have a harder time treating it.
2: So that was the
1: idea that if you got in there at this stage with the transplant, you could avoid having leukemia and making it more difficult. Obviously, people get transplants for leukemia, but it makes it more complicated. Once you're really sick, it gets much more complicated. So that was, you know, their argument. My argument is I read up on what was going to go on, and I thought, oh, my goodness, I don't know about this. Basically... You're in the hospital for a month. You're given high-dose chemotherapy. They wipe out all of your counts. They were going to right. transplant, not nirmals, uh serum, blood, lymph, whatever they're transplanting into me, and then it would take me a year to recover. I mean, this doesn't sound so good. <laughs> and there's like a 30% chance of death, and, you know, it might not work, and, you know, all kinds of other stuff. It sounds terrible. Like, so, who would want to do this right. in their right mind?
0: So you know, so what so. was the tipping point for you, Sandy? What What made you say... Oh, okay. I give up,
1: yeah. Uh, the tipping point was <laughs> that we had, um, well, we, uh, my husband and I took a trip to Switzerland in the summer of 2012, and I was good. I had a transfusion the day before I went, and I was good for the next 10 days. But the last two days I was really exhausted in Switzerland and could do almost nothing. So mm-hmm. the transfusions weren't even lasting two weeks. Oh.
0: I came back.
1: So my oncologist, and I not only had that, I had pneumonia.
0: oh, And so I wound up bad. in the
1: hospital for two weeks with pneumonia. Um, oh. So now I was exhausted, anemic, had pneumonia, and couldn't last two weeks without a transfusion. And oh. you can't just get endless transfusions. There, no, there are side no. effects if you get too many of right. those things. So I think the worse I felt, the more the transplant looked viable when I felt relatively well, the transplant looked like a terrible alternative. But as right. I felt terrible, the transplant started to look like my only hope. Right, and that right, was the right. tipping point. Oh, um,
0: so,
1: so that was what yeah, happened. So,
0: Sanirmo, so what, 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 what was it like for you to watch this? I mean, you know, you, you're ready to well, jump pretty, in and do it. It
2: was, it was pretty horrifying. I mean, I, you know, you know, you get these unexpected things in your life and you my sister is 5 years older than i am and i certainly and i still don't think that i'm going to outlive her so to watch my big sister literally falling apart i mean mm. it was bad mm-hmm. and i do remember her talking to me about it she started sounding really bad she was she couldn't get a full sentence out without you know not having enough wind to even speak um, can't climb the steps in the house. I remember I went for a visit at one point. We, we tried to take a walk, couldn't make it a half a block. I mean, oh, this is right. somebody who had as much energy as I've got, which is a lot. Mm. And Not a lot. It was just so heartbreaking and, you know, upsetting to watch somebody that you love and who's so connected to you, you know, be in so much pain. Um, so I was ready at any time, and I was... Um, you know, I think sometimes what happens to people who are in this situation is, um, and I know, we, Sandy, we had conversation like this, kind of, you know, all the side effects and the fact that it might not work. I thought it, I, I made a lot of incorrect assumptions. My first incorrect assumption was that a bone marrow transplant was a slam dunk and she was going to be just fine after that. I didn't <laughs> know, first of all, that it took so much and it was going to be this whole chemotherapy thing and on top of everything it might not work. So mm-hmm. I didn't know all that and when she started telling me all the different research she was doing and the people who had survived it and what they go through, I think when you're the individual you start thinking, hey, you know, I've had a good run of it, I've got great kids, I maybe it's time to depart, And but your family is there going, no way, we're not letting you go. So I think that's not only her feeling bad but we were all kind of telling her she she has to do this and i it, it felt to me like you know family and loved ones also push you into these decisions um right, and right, right. honestly at first i i wasn't looking forward to it it wasn't going to be like fun i thought that um well first of all they lost my they had lost my uh dna sample from the 10 years prior they couldn't oh, find good. it anywhere. Somehow, of course. Not. But anyway, yeah. they sent me. They sent me another kit, which was actually much easier. They, you know, the ten years had passed. When I first right. did the sample, I had to go to a doctor and they took blood and it was a whole thing. This time, they sent me in this little baggie, a, a glass test tube, and um, a little Q-tip thing. <laughs>
0: Right. So it it's looked just a little bizarre to me.
2: That was it. Yeah. They, yeah, so they, they swiped the inside of your mouth and stick it back in come the Come on, you and watch Law on
0: Order. You should know that by now. I do. <laughs> uh, yes, all I mean, the time. come on. Yeah, you're <laughs> It was great. So Open that took up. 30 yeah.
2: seconds, and and we got the same result. I was a 10-point match, and I was really happy about that. Um and the, the incorrect assumption though oh was near, well, can I
1: interrupt you for a minute? Wait, wait, it's yes, important. Of course. You know what? This yes. is really important. When I've been mm-hmm. in the waiting rooms, I didn't realize how lucky my sister and I are that we're a match. Do you know how many I siblings are not that. a match? Oh, and be the donor. If you're willing to donate Absolutely. bone marrow, it's called be yep. the donor and it's on the web and they need desperately yes. donors. Yeah, we Absolutely. were very lucky. I had no idea.
2: Number, exactly, incorrect assumption number two on right. my part and my sister's is that, oh yeah, we're sisters. What's the, what are they getting so excited right. about? What's the problem, and, right. You know, like why? Well, yeah, of course we're a match. What are you talking about? We have the same parents. We're not half sisters. We're full. Mm-hmm. And Sandy's doctor said to me, "Are you out of your mind? You know, you don't know. This is not easy to do. Siblings often don't match." And this is a 10-point match, which is, so that was another thing I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was really quite a learning experience. The other, and now assumption number three that I didn't understand was that I thought they were going to have to um, put me under a general, which I hate. Uh, And I wasn't looking, I don't like going under, you know, I, I haven't had it done much, but I thought, all right, you know, I have to do that. And they stick a big needle in your hip. Um, you like the sound, sound like that way, well, really
0: big needle, really big, and it yeah, goes like in your I'm, thinking of, you <laughs> yeah. know, I'm
2: imagining this gigantic thing. Yeah. So when I talked to the people at Sloan Kettering when I was making the appointments to get, you know, um, all my blood work done, they said, no, 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 we don't do it that way anymore. This is like giving blood. It, it's not going to bother you. It's a, it's a little boring. It takes kind of, you know, several hours, and we have a little TV you can watch, and, Um, We'll take good care of you, and they were so nice, and I really didn't know. I mean, I was ready to do anything, but I didn't realize that it wasn't this big um, having to go under a a general and having a gigantic needle go into my hip. It wasn't like that at all, and, uh, you know, it was was like, it kind of was like giving blood, um, but do you want me to go into the whole thing now or did you have some other? Yeah, please, because we, we're, to...
0: we're getting, we, we're getting down on time, so, yeah. Yeah, I
2: know, I noticed that. Well, honestly, it was, you know, really relatively easy. If, and now I'm not local, so I had to go to New York and take a week off of work. But that's, you know, if it was local, I would have been able to work. Um, you go in a week before, or maybe it's ten days before, um, you have to be healthy, totally, no cold or no sore throat, nothing, and they tested all my blood again. And they, you have to start taking these injections of something. I can't remember what it's called, but it it makes me produce even more healthy red blood cells yes, epogen, at a rapid epogen. rate.
0: yeah, yeah. That, yeah. yes,
2: that. So mm-hmm. they sh- – and I never have given myself an injection, but they showed me how to do it. They even – Wrap this fake stomach around me with Velcro, and we injected me with a saline solution so I can get used to injecting myself. They send you home, and I was staying at my sister's house, and they and my husband was with me. And they send you home with these pre-filled syringes that had to be refrigerated. And every morning at the same time, I would get up and inject myself. It was really easy; it didn't hurt, a little pinch. The only side effects from it is um some muscle pain. Now, some people experience pretty severe pain. Um a lot of times in the lower back and in the neck, and they sent me home with Tylenol and Percocet. I did not oh. need the Percocet and I bare I barely needed the Tylenol. I think they just mm-hmm. sent me with all that just in case they don't want me to be in pain. But as you're taking the injections, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, by the time I got to day six, I could feel it. I, my back was starting to hurt, my neck and my shoulders. And I just needed a couple of Tylenol. It really wasn't a big deal for me. And then on whatever it is, the sixth day or the seventh day, whatever the last day is, you go into um, Sloan Kettering, and they actually put you know one needle in one arm, like you're giving blood and another needle in the other arm, and the one on my right arm was taking blood out, and it went into this machine that extracted my bone marrow stem cells, and then whatever was left over went back into me. And in a normal, healthy person, you produce your own stem cells. And the only problem I had, honestly, was that um, my veins are kind of light, and so they had trouble kind of finding good ones and Mm -hmm. i think i was kind of dehydrated also my sister and i talked about this later and somebody had suggested really the night before you go in you should drink like gatorade or a sports drink or something and i think that would have helped the other problem is they don't want you getting up and going to the bathroom all the time so I, i didn't really want to drink that much before i went in um but the night before i think i should have as well drink a lot more water um, and, and a sports drink. I think that would have helped. So that was the only problem I had. And they had this tiny little TV that they looked like they bought it in 1960 or something. <laughs> it was a little black and white TV that had two stations on it. So they kept changing them for me. And the staff there was amazing. They were wonderful. And it took a few hours, three or four hours, and then they let me go. And then I came in the next day and did it again. And they got lots of lots of healthy... Um, stem cells for my sister, and then they were going to do the transplant right away, but my sister was so ill that they couldn't. And then you had your spleen taken out, I think, that week.
1: Yes, they wound up taking out my spleen. We got delayed. (laughs) Yeah,
2: they preserved my stem cells, and they said that they could actually preserve them for years, and I shouldn't worry about it. But um, her doctor did ask me not to travel out of the country just in case um, for those few months, which I didn't. So um, that was in May, and then Mm -hmm. my sister just wasn't healthy enough to receive it even even. she was so, so sick that she had her spleen removed and had to recover from that. So then August 2nd, was it, Sandy? Mm -hmm. I think it was August 2nd, (laughs) they did the transplant. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, I would say everybody should do this because it is an amazing way to give and serve the community And it doesn't take a lot. It really doesn't.
0: And Sandy, so so you went in and you had mentioned, you know, you have the, because we're we're getting close on time, but um, you went in for that month. You were there. And what, and you were getting better from the transplant.
1: Yes. This was definitely, the month in the hospital was fine. Um, It was, I was comfortable. I have to tell you, you know, when you're healthy, you think about spending the month in the hospital and you think, oh, my God, you know, I'm claustrophobic. What am I going to do? I have to stay in my room. This is terrible. Well, it turns out it's not like that at all. Um, First of all, you're tired. They keep you comfortable. Um, They use a lot of medication. I had a music therapist come in when I was feeling a little stronger, and we did drumming on a drum and I had a foot massage from a masseuse <laughs> who came by and all That's kinds good. of weird things like that. Um, so all kinds of strange things happened, but it was really more than tolerable. Um, I was uh-huh. You get a lot of attention, and they took excellent care of me. So this was not at all what I had imagined. And the recovery is long, you know, because your strength comes back slowly. and um, yeah. But it does come back, and the changes are... The changes are completely perceptible week by week, not so much day oh, by day. You wow. need a little uh-huh. different mindset, but week by week. Mm-hmm. And I was back seeing a few patients by the end of September, which is So you've amazing. made a remarkable
0: recovery. I mean, when you're talking oh, about yeah. a year, no, no,
1: I mean. I, I, I'm sort of, yeah, a year later, I feel fine. and um,
2: Well, I'm I can pretty tell you much it's normal. been a year. And, yeah, I saw my sister at six months, and she was still very thin, but her energy was a lot better. And then I saw her again a couple of weeks ago, which was the year mark, and her hair is back, and Mm -hmm. if I didn't know anything, I wouldn't have thought anything happened. So it's miraculous to me. It is miraculous,
1: yes. A year later, I feel fine, Yeah. Thank goodness. And uh,
0: what are the doctors saying to you? I mean, they're like, Wow.
1: (laughs) Oh they're very happy. Yes. yes, yeah. you know, yeah. this is, yeah. this, is yeah. this is why you want to be a doctor, you know, when things go exactly. well, and, you know. Exactly. This is um, mm-hmm. you know, they're very happy and so am I and um, you know, getting things back to normal. It's it's a real gift. It is a real gift. Yeah. But there was so much I didn't know about the entire thing. Um, even having right. worked in the area, I think that's the irony is having mm-hmm. worked with patients, I knew nothing about this. It's so one more thing for you
0: to be able to, to,
2: yeah,
0: yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, wow, what a journey. I mean, I can't. I, 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 I'm glad that I kind of got to hear about it from Sunita Sat- Irimal. Some, you know, she mm-hmm. would tell me at times, and I was very grateful. And it was always so amazing to me first that you got that. You know, you were so connected, and and you were able to give that to each other. That's such a blessing. And that it worked. I mean, we all prayed really hard mm-hmm. for you, you know, that it would, yes. for both of you, that it would work. Yes.
2: And, you.
0: you know, it, gosh, it, you know, after your service. And one thing that I, I just wanted to mention here, that I saw that the World Health Association and the World Trade Health Program has actually acknowledged your malignancy as having occurred by env- environmental problems. I noticed that. Yes, in, um, I have.
1: Mhm finally yes. right Yeah oh yes yeah. they have yes and i have been covered and taken care of by them and they've helped with the hospital expenses yes they do recognize that connection and um yes so it it's been fine yes <clears throat> wow helpful.
0: well that's that's i mean finally. Well, I, I, feel, mean that, I
2: don't know, Sandy, I feel i feel another book coming on here. Yeah, that's you know, what I was going to say. We need
0: a book. This is like we an need incredible another story. We may need to hunker
2: down and, and write, write yeah. our memoirs. I mean, those, actually, those are
0: the kind of stories about 9-11 that I like to read about. You know, I've le- read yeah. so much about that day. I mean, I've gotten all, so many books. It, they, and this story is so wonderful. I really encourage you. Not because I love your sister so much and then you because you're her (laughs) sister. But because the story, you know, the story is remarkable and it it, it needs to be heard. It's powerful. It can, you know, it can help Mm. people and that's, you know, that's what my show is about but that's also what you've Mm. done and you're helping Mm -hmm. people. You know, again, you can help again. So I'm not going to say any more. You you know my opinion on it. So
2: (laughs) I hear you. Yeah, you're not going to say any more. You'll probably be bugging me about this for a year now. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So what I'd like to do, we're just getting down to the end. What's your advice to people when they're thinking about um, about uh, you know about about doing bone marrow? Thirty seconds. We got it's thirty seconds each.
1: (laughs) Oh. Um <laughs> it is not as bad as you might think. It can be a lifesaver. There are no guarantees, but it can be a lifesaver. And you will be well taken care of in the hospitals that do this. I mean, it, it's something right. to be seriously considered. And speak to someone who's been through it. That's what a, one thing I did, I spoke to four people who had had it, and that helped me enormously. Call people yeah, who have had very it, helpful. let them talk to you. Yeah.
2: Okay, San yeah. my advice would be, yeah be the dot com mm-hmm. be the donor yep, absolutely. Just do it and mm-hmm. uh give blood also, because it, my sister kept herself alive with those transfusions that's right, and um so give, and you know, I really do believe that um, happiness comes from service, and this is a great way mm-hmm. to serve mm mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, thank you
0: both so much. I I can't thank you enough, and I'm so happy that you're doing so well, Sandy, and that Nirmal. Thank you for well being my friend, but also doing that, just doing it, and inspiring all of us to think. I mean, I actually thought, oh, should I just go have my, you know, do my blood, you know, I, you know, Mm -hmm. my genetics, so they can see if I match anyone, you know. So Mm -hmm.
2: thank you for that. I think I'll do it now. Absolutely. All right, ladies. Thanks so much. Thanks, Huddy. Okay. Thank
0: you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. God bless Bye. you both. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you. Bye.
0: All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And be the donor. Be the donor. Go out there. This is like life-saving for people. So God bless you all. This has been a great day. Let's not forget those from 9-11. And thank you so much, all, for listening. Bye-bye.